It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I had to go about it, write it out and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. I had to fail, had to fall. This is the Final Word Cricket Podcast with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. It's nearing midnight and we're back home on the couch in North London, having just returned back from Bristol, a day trip, an afternoon trip, if you like. And Jeff, what were we doing there? The Holy Grail was attained. The search is over. Destiny was achieved. The wheel has turned and we did something that we've been needing to do since we started this podcast, something anyone who listens to it would know. We finally interviewed Glenn Maxwell. It's taken till the season opener. This is the technically the season premiere of our sixth time around the sun. <laughs> and we finally got around to talking about the Blake. Well, not, not talking about, to talking to the Blake. We've spent so much time invested in talking about on the show since we started this all those years ago. And needless to say, he was outstanding. I'm amazed that he was willing to meet with us because surely he would have been a bit <laughs> nervous that it was going to end up in some sort of misery style <laughs> context where he's like locked in a room. <laughs> we won't let him out unless he plays a switch hit over, you know. <laughs> no, thankfully the AVO was that he held off on putting that on the two of us. No, to be fair to Glenn, he has been very kind with his time with us before, but we just haven't got around to doing an actual podcast and this was the, the right time to do it. As we say, a few days before Australia's campaign starts in the World Cup, by the time this drops, it'll be the day of the World Cup opener, I believe, Jeff, if I've got my timings right, when you consider the time conversion back from the UK to Australia, and it was thoroughly worth the trip. A few hours there, a few hours back. We barely spent any time in the West Country, but uh, yeah, but Glenn, as you'll hear as we, we go through the hour or so conversation, we didn't want to get him in trouble, as, as, as we'll explain through the pod. We wanted to have a different kind of conversation, and it really uh, really worked a treat. Yeah, that's partly why maybe we haven't spoken to him before. It's exactly why we've not spoken to him before. it wasn't in his best interests to, to be talking to us 
given the kind of things we would want to ask about. But we shelved some of that, but we ended up just having the most interesting, unexpected conversation about all kinds of things, you know, particularly about vulnerability and uh, the humanity of people who play sport who, who are in these professional environments and aren't really seen as human beings by a lot of the people who watch on so it was it was a lovely little moment of connection um in in several ways and you'll discover those as you go through the conversation it was lovely to be able to talk to him in that forum as you say jeff i think we went there expecting to have a, a relatively playful conversation that's how we set it up and it is it's a lot of fun a lot of a lot of, a lot of laughs along the way but yeah there was a, a serious edge to it which is which is the, the exact balance we like to strike on the final word somewhere in the middle of the that and between fun and, and meaningful and I think that's the, the balance we struck today with Glenn. The real big show was the friends we made along the way. <laughs> now, <laughs> it's getting really late. I, I think I think what we need we, to do we, here, we have is, made a lot of friends along the way, um, all, all on the patron page. But we, oh, we, yes, we're sorry. Gonna, you're right, get, you are. We're going to get back to that next week. I know we said we'd get to it today, but we've got Glenn Maxwell on the bloody podcast. <laughs> so you don't want to listen to us talk about numbers. You want to listen to Glenn Maxwell. If you're listening to The Final Word, you definitely want to listen to Glenn Maxwell. So we've got a bunch of shows over the, the next few weeks. We will get to all those nerd pledge numbers and we've, we're doing the research on some of those. Um, we'll probably get to those in the weekly shows, but we are also going to be doing the little short World Cup daily shows. So once again, a reminder, if you're a patron signed up, don't worry, you're not going to get charged any money for the daily shows. They're covered by a sponsor, which is great. And we'll just keep doing the the usual thing with you with the longer weekly shows do some interviews do some longer form stuff and keep that relationship going that way yeah that's right so just to clarify there'll be a weekly feature show each week which you've become accustomed to and if you're the first if this is the first time you've happened upon our podcast if you've seen uh, that Glenn Maxwell's on the show and, and as a result you, you've stumbled on what we do here our patron subscription service makes it well basically all possible really uh, the, the reason we were able to get down to Bristol at very short notice today was because of the very kind subscriptions that have been made over the last couple of months or so the way to get involved with that jeff what's what's the url patreon.com spelt p-a-t-r-e-o-n slash the final word and as jeff said we'll be doing daily shows throughout the course of the world cup which we can't wait to bring to you as well and these weekly shows we'll get to, so we'll be going eight days a week we will uh, eight days a week i love i need you, you. Hold me, love me. I'm going to need someone to hold me after this. So, yeah, so the, so the daily ones will be little wraps of what's happened in that day in the World Cup so that, you know, if you're particularly if you're waking up in the morning in Australia because you didn't want to sit up till 4am watching Afghanistan West Indies, we have got you covered. Uh, a little bit more housekeeping. Uh, one, thanks so much to Kookaburra for making the interview with Glenn happen today. That was, that was all on account of uh, Kookaburra's hard work back in Melbourne. Thank you so much for that. Thank you also to A.B. Jennings who've come on um, as our primary naming rights sponsor throughout the course of the World Cup, which is ever so kind of them that's a, a partnership we've had before and one we're thrilled to be renewing throughout the course of the world cup and we can now extend our range by recording advertising material which is not <laughs> something i imagined we'd be doing when we started the final word all those years ago indeed indeed right you are uh, last bit of housekeeping uh, if you if you like the show if you hear the interview with glenn as jeff said before jump on patreon also uh, drop us a, a review or a rating on itunes they are remarkably effective in a very competitive algorithm field uh, and, we're, and we're always grateful for that kind of reinforcement there that we're on the right track drop us an email as well final word cricket at gmail.com if you want to suggest guests that we might want to have a chat to be it through the world cup or through the ashes it's a long summer jeff's only been here for about a week it's about a four and a half month journey if memory serves me correct I'm so we've got it already tons of opportunities to to speak to people on the show and i think that might just about be enough from us for now i think we'll i think we'll we'll throw to glenn maxwell this is the final word with adam collins and jeff lemon and uh and i hope you enjoy the next hour or so 
the summer of 1932. When Bodyline began, it took a lot of courage to face Harold Larwood. But in that same year, there was a young Australian showing a different kind of courage by mortgaging his home during the Great Depression to start a property company called A.V. Jennings. Albert Victor Jennings wanted to provide quality, affordable housing in areas where people actually want to live. And 87 years later, the company that still bears his name is doing the same thing. They're one of the most trusted names in Australian housing. You can go to avjennings.com.au and check them out for yourself. This is the final word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. Today we're coming to you from Bristol in the southwest of England, a couple of days before the first game of the 2019 World Cup. We've hiked down here today because on the instruction of our dear friends and supporters at Kookaburra, we're doing something we've been talking about for a while now. You could say it's part two of a final word trilogy. I'll explain. In January for our sold out live show at the Commercial Club in Fitzroy, we presented to you the oral history of Glenn Maxwell. Today we're sitting down with him as he begins his campaign to win the World Cup for a second time. Now, the reason I say this is part two is that there's another much longer conversation we'd eventually like to have with Glenn. We know the bloke sitting opposite says what he means and he means what he says. He always answers honestly. With that in mind, on the cusp of a World Cup, that kind of interview could be, shall we say, career limiting. So instead, for Kookaburra today, we're going to have a different type of conversation. If you listen to the oral history or ever listened to our show over the last four years, you already know Glenn's story back to front. We hope so, anyway. However, what is it about him that the people around the world really want to know? So... We consulted Google. Specifically, we took a look at what comes up when typing in Glenn's name into that search engine. What are the most asked questions down the page? So to pace through this and any number of tangents I'm sure we will follow, we welcome, at long last to the final word, Kookaburra's favourite son, Glenn Maxwell. Thanks for being with us. Bloody good to be here. Before we get into that, World Cup 2015 was such a pivotal moment in your career where you, on the international stage, whole world watching, you make your first international century, you hold up the World Cup, the world's at your feet. How often do you think about that now in the lead-up to the, the total defence? Yeah, I probably think about the lead-in to that World Cup probably more than anything. And It was a excruciating, I suppose, couple of months where it was... I probably had doubts where I would be there, and it was probably similar, I suppose, to probably eight months ago as well. I had, had doubts whether I'd be here as well. So to sort of go through similar paths and, and start to peak at the right time, like I did in 2015, it, it's, I suppose, a little bit eerily similar, but hopefully a bit more success and, and potentially a second World Cup. In that Sri Lanka game, that 100, I think it's my favourite ever celebration in cricket because it's not so much, like, you're obviously very emotional, but Watto is so happy. He was happier than he's ever been in his whole career for anything about himself. He's, like, giving you this hug like he's trying to squeeze the last bit of sauce out of the bottle and his helmet's falling off because he's hugging you so hard and he's just beaming this, like, high, like, headlight smile out of his face. It was, it's a beautiful little moment between you two. Yeah, it was, and he, he was so good for me during that World Cup. Uh, someone who I rested a lot on, I suppose, at different times. And the way he was to me as a senior player and as a, as a close friend was, was brilliant. And to, to be able to share that, that moment out there and, and feel the joy, I suppose, of him the excitement that he got out of that he'd obviously been through a bit of a lean patch as well he sort of he was in and out of the side and he'd just come back into that side and, and started to hit the ball really well so I suppose we were both at, at different ends of our careers I suppose at that stage but uh, for him to sort of share in that moment and and yeah we embraced for probably a little bit too long um, but yeah I sort of didn't want to sort of turn around and still be crying in front of a camera so that, that was a really special moment and 
something I'd love to be able to replicate. What is it about Watto that it seems like when you talk to Shane's former teammates, there's a bunch of you who are huge Watto loyalists. What is it about his personality that draws you in so close? Oh, he's an extremely intelligent man, that's for sure. And uh, he's got so much experience. He's been through all the ups and downs of cricket. He has, he's had people write him off, doubt him. He's had a lot of people, I suppose, get on uh, the negative side of him. And, he, and he's been able to sort of come out the other side and, and be one of Australia's greatest ever one-day players and, and perform so well in, every, in basically every format. So for him to sort of still have that unbelievable humility and that aura around him that is just so approachable, and that, that's what I found, I suppose, when I came into the squad. He was so approachable, so easy to talk to and um, was willing to... Uh, I suppose give off any wisdom that he had When you got to that 100 you'd, you'd had a, a 90 against Zimbabwe not long ago 95 against England 88 against Afghanistan you had a bunch of 90s in the IPL as well Were you, was it starting to get to you a bit at that point that you hadn't I mean I know it's such an arbitrary number and it, it shouldn't mean anything but somehow it does Th- That's right it, to me it, it, it shouldn't mean anything and, but people were kept on bringing it up that I, I'd never had a 100 in, in any format for the country and to me it didn't really matter because it felt like my contributions were winning games for the team and I thought that's all that should really matter and whether I get 99 or 100 it actually doesn't matter too much it's just a I suppose a stat that people look back on and you got x amount of hundreds or I look back at I suppose the the contributions that I've made that have helped to help the team get to a, a victory and I think I don't think we've lost once I've got to 90 so I think it's a that's a stat that I'm, I'm pretty happy with. You said before that people get in your back about things and that was something that at the time was, was, was drawing a bit of interest. How much do you pay attention to, sometimes the media storm swells around you more than it does other players in world cricket. It really sharpens up. Like, how do you experience that on days when you are headlines around the country and sometimes even around the world? Yeah, I, I suppose I've gone through different stages of embracing it hiding away from it you can become I suppose very introverted uh, when you're away on tour you spend a lot of time in your hotel room and there's ample time just to sort of scroll scroll through social media and and read a bunch of negative stuff and you can get into a pretty dark place at at different times but I I suppose I'll be able to read it and actually just sort of sift through it and either take it on board or just let it let it go by but I'm pretty laid back and pretty relaxed about that sort of stuff and people have their opinions and it doesn't really faze me what I know is that my teammates have got my back and uh, that's that's probably the main thing that I, I worry you said something last year, late in the year, before the Big Bash, I think it was actually, about social media and the influence on mental health of players, how it can have a, a pretty big effect when you hit your mentions button and it can be an absolute sewer. Again, what's your experience of how you, how you handle that? Um, do you literally read through your mentions when you go well or go poorly or do you have to discipline yourself to not actually read any of that? No, I, I'm pretty open to reading it, but I'm, I'm also really good at sort of um, sifting through my my feelings I'm able to sort of talk pretty openly with other people and and I know that my support group will always be there for me as well so I've, I've got a really good support group that I can I can fall back on if I am having a tough day or I am um, not exactly going through the greatest patch of form so to be able to rest on people openly and honestly and basically put your feelings out there for people to sort of see is um, is something that's probably helped me along the way. We usually try to maintain some degree of impartiality while covering cricket but we, we give ourselves a couple of exceptions I think the final word is a place where you can feel safe to express Maxwell enthusiasm and there have been a, a lot of followers who've come in they've been drawn into that circle there's a huge number of people out there who 
just really fucking love the Maxwell work. <laughs> you know, are you aware of that, that there's this sort of groundswell of affection for you as a player as well? That there's this really substantial part of the cricket community that wants nothing more than to watch you go about your work? It's actually changed a little bit. I think early days, no one really wanted a piece of me. I think it was probably most of India were pretty excited when I when I turned up and most of Australia were pretty much the opposite. So it's, it's been nice to sort of change that over the last couple of years. People have been a little bit more, I suppose, uh, accepting of me and... I suppose I've, I've been able to sort of show my personality a bit more and people have been able to take that but it certainly helps if you're performing a bit for the country and, and playing well I think as soon as you start to not play well they certainly jump off board pretty quickly but people people are still into you like you a couple of years ago when you weren't even playing in the one day team you were running drinks you were still on all the posters outside the MCG <laughs> you were, they were, they're using you to sell stuff like you're the marketable guy in that team I do remember <laughs> a bunch of my mates turning up to the G going this feels really weird you're on you're on all these big flags out the ground like there you are, 20 metres tall, and you're not even playing. The same applied when we were in India a couple of years ago at the start of the Test Series when, I can't remember what it was called, that bar across the crossroad from the team hotel in Pune when there was a cocktail named in your honour when you weren't even in the side at that particular moment. Like, they love you over there Yeah, I well. do remember that, the Maxwell cocktail. That's, um, I might have had a few. That's probably why I didn't get picked. <laughs> that extends to the way you've conducted yourself in the media as well. I mean, you do these great long-form interviews with Jared Waitley on SCN, for example, where I mentioned it kind of as a bit of a throwaway line off the top, but you do just kind of say what you reckon. And maybe it's my old political hack hat on here, but people aren't always trained to say what they reckon. They're trained to give a line which will be palatable and not get themselves in strife. But I don't know, how do you feel about the idea that when you do um, give an interview like that, that you are going to be exposed? You're just at peace with that now, that you just believe that what you say is good enough and, and that'll be that? Well, I think I'm, I put my personality out there and, and, and show that everything I say is pretty genuine and I mean, I mean it from the heart and people don't really want to hear the fluff they want to hear the real stuff that actually goes on in um in our minds in the game like opening up about some of your, some of your deepest fears i suppose uh, to the public can be quite hard for a cricketer but to tell you the truth it doesn't really bother me too much i, I think everyone has them and, and if you can open yourself up and, and sort of be personable i think uh, it makes it a bit easier for people to relate to you and makes it easier for people to come up to you in in public and instead of i suppose getting heckled like from across the road by a couple of drunk guys they're actually more more than happy to come over and say hello yes. although sometimes drunk guy heckling can be you know the dirk nanis adelaide who was just singing daddy yankee to dirk, Na- dirk nanis he, he bowls to la gasolina, gasolina. <laughs> give me that gasolina and i'll tell you dirk loved that beautiful. as well he was a, he, he was he loved that guy. Yeah, he loved that Unashamedly moment. so. No, but I think this is quite an interesting vein we've tapped into here. I didn't expect to talk about serious stuff, but here we are. Like the idea that I'm sure you were media trained to the back teeth. I'm sure you were taught when you start to play for Australia, a centrally contracted player, a decade or more now in the professional game, how to get through a media conference with the straightest possible bat and kind of say nothing. But I've never sort of experienced that with you on the other side of the desk. I mean, you just kind of get up there. And I said it before, you just say what you think. And, and surely you must do that with a degree of mindfulness that sometimes it will get you in trouble. But as I say, like you, you've made your mind up almost beforehand that it's, it's a risk you're willing to take. Yeah, I suppose I go in with a, a few key things that I want to talk about and and you have a few people, I suppose, in the team that you you really want to pump up. And But I suppose it's about also being honest about it as well and, and like talking about the impact that Watto's had on my career, being really open and honest about that and... I suppose not a lot of people sort of see that sort of thing like they can just sort of see I suppose two teammates hugging on the pitch without really knowing any sort of the backstory so to be able to I suppose express yourself and show people that you're actually a real person and not just a not just a 20 foot tall flag on the outside of the MCG (laughs) yeah it's nice to be able to I suppose be a a welcoming and approachable person in public that's 
the big gulf I think for a lot of people watching sport it seems like th- there would be this difficulty in making people realise that you're actually just a guy and that everybody else who's playing is just one as well yeah and I suppose that's sort of the real side of sport there uh, what we see when we go to a, g- a game of game of cricket we see the got two teams play you go away one team's won or lost you sort of don't think about the aftermath or how the players sort of are feeling the emotions that go through it I remember the highs and lows that we've had I suppose over the last 12 months I think when we left England shores last year it was as bad as it could have been and then to turn it around when we're leaving India with the tro- with two trophies um, with the T20 series and the one day series it's the complete opposite so I suppose the feelings that players go through don't always I suppose shine through in certain interviews but it's probably something I've been pretty conscious of. Do you sense that things have changed a bit in the last I guess what are we now 17 months since Cape Town that there is a sense that you need to give more of yourself and this environment around the team has modified a little bit since that kind of flashpoint in South Africa across the formats not just in the test side but that you know generally speaking you are encouraged to you know give a bit more and and and, and so on. Well I suppose almost going back to the mental health it's about making sure you're taking care of each other and sort of asking I suppose those questions about is everyone actually okay is everyone thinking straight is everyone actually in the right mindset to go to training today or or go to the gym or whatever it is just sort of there's so much downtime and if you, you can just find yourself just your mind just going off into a really strange tangent so to be actually able to um, look look after each other it's something we've done I think been really conscious of over the last few months definitely and it's just making sure that everyone's is okay. I'm not sure many people behind the curtain see that with professional sportsmen especially I guess batsmen against bowlers and the matchups and, and so forth how much homework there is for you now has that changed a fair bit even in your time as an Australian player and give us a just an example of what you might do ahead of a game in this tournament without specifying a country but how you might get yourself ready to walk out and bat in front of you know 20,000 people in, in a game that means an awful lot yeah well I, I like to I watch a lot of cricket so I've been watching most of the practice games going on and just sort of flicking between different things there we also get sent a big sort of PowerPoint presentation which has links to footage as well for different players so we can go through that and click on videos if we want to see their whole spell or, or whatnot. So that that makes things easy for us and it, it puts it all back in our hands to actually get ready. We also organise our own individual meetings with either coaches or uh, I know for us as a spin group, so myself, Adam Zampa, Nathan Lyon and Sri Ram, our spin coach, we'll, we'll catch up with a bit of footage and, and just talk about some of the key matchups that we're going to face, I suppose, for the next game. And it's going to be harder and harder to do, I suppose, when the games do come a bit closer. But even just a 10, 15-minute chat over a coffee is just good to either mentally refocus for the next game or the next challenge you're about to face. So I think that could be quite helpful for us going forward. There's, there's something I've been trying to clear up for, for four years now, and you and I have discussed it, but maybe we can finally crack it. The World Cup trophy is is a, a big gold ball, right? And it, and it sort of sits on some stilts. Now, in 2015, when the cameras are in... You know where I'm going with this, now. I know exactly where you're going with when this. The cameras are the the dr- inside, isn't he? When the cameras are in the dressing room, in the background behind the interview, Brad Haddon is studiously pouring a beer over the top of the World Cup trophy, right? And it's like he's... I think in his mind he's saying, well, it's a World Cup, you have to drink beer out of the cup. That's what you do when you win a cup, you drink out of yeah. it. But it's a ball. It's you a can't. Ball. So he's, but he's really studiously, it's like he's trying to figure it out. And then about five minutes later, another interview's happening and he's in the background and he's doing the same thing again <laughs> with another beer. Did, did you notice this? Was there a conversation? Did he ask, how do we get beer into this cup? Can you cast any light on what was going on? I think at that stage, Brad had had about maybe two or three beers, which would have sent him right over the edge. I think um, he wasn't exactly piss fit at that stage of the tournament, so it hit everyone pretty hard. I think we, we went we went real hard straight after the game and wanted to celebrate. And I think I think guys were 
kissing the World Cup and like mm-hmm. so maybe he was just making it taste a bit better and sure <laughs> just rinsing maybe, maybe clever yeah. maybe a good idea I think a bit of Foresight. domestic um, you know uh, yeah, just, yeah just a bit of alcohol it. on top to make sure it you know it, it's cleanliness I mean it, look, next it to godliness makes sense it also uh, was probably a bit of a waste like I mean, they were VBs, I yeah. think, or crownies, so it's, you know, it's probably best Did, to pull Are they a sponsor out. anymore? Or? I don't know. I don't have a clue, to be honest. It will stumble all over the <laughs> <laughs> That's where I will be. I will be careful there. No, no, quite right, quite right. Uh, I'll, I'll ask Steve Smith, oh, what are you drinking today? I'll, say, oh, I'll just say the sponsor's product. Just say the sponsor's product. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, right, but if it happens again, I mean, is, is there going to be more? I'll make sure I'll get in the background <laughs> yeah. and just, like, hold the walk up and drink the beer properly and just go, uh, yeah. And just pat it. Or like hollow it out and put a straw in yeah, it. Yes, like a coconut. With yeah. the kookaburra blade so we can, use it, in our, we can yeah. use it in our advertising <laughs> shots if you get it with the kookaburra in there at the same time. What bat are you using at the moment, by the way? I think you've got, you got a new blade, don't you? Got it. You, you got a new bat? You, you, got you, a had new the one, bat. you had that one that you were trying to hold on to for the, a long The time. Wonder Bat, the Homer so Simpson just, Wonder Bat. I've just given that back to kookaburra to uh, refurbish, so I should should get that tomorrow. What's the great man's name? The guy from Dove the North Korea Club, the, the fellow who makes the bats uh, down at the kookaburra factory. Lachlan. Ding. 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 Yeah, the dinger. Dove the North Korea Club, around, around the corner from where I grew up. Lucky Dinger. Um, what, a, what a great Australian name. You should have written a novel <laughs> about Lucky Dinger. might be about his fifth mention on the show. <laughs> he does bat. get a lot of mentions. So you got a new... I, I should ask you this. There is a new bat. That it isn't the old bat, the Wonder Bat, the, the Homer Simpson. No, it's Wonder Bat. No, it's coming back. It's refurbed. It's refurbed. So you were able to do that at this late stage before a tournament? So I didn't touch it after, I think it was the fourth game in India, and I hit one to cover and I was like, oh, the face of this bat's gone. And I was like, I might just like put it aside until I can get it fixed. So I hadn't touched it since then, and, and I've been just sitting at the bottom of my bag, and now I can actually go get it ready up for the next next game. And here's my clumsy segue. You search your name on Google, first thing that comes up, sure enough, IPL. Right. Which is, you know, a, a variety of different terms. You know, Glenn Maxwell, IPL. What team is Glenn Maxwell playing in the IPL for in 2019? Who is the best player in the IPL? You come up with that as well. It's quite kind. You, you chose not to play this year. So that bat didn't have to necessarily come out um, for the Indian Premier League. No. Uh, that's a big call. I mean, yeah, obviously you're a, wealth, you're a wealthy man. You play a lot of professional cricket. But still, you're foregoing a, a pretty significant cash ch- a, you know, paycheck in a, in a competition where you've made your name. Like, talk us through the, the, the process of, of coming to that conclusion. Yeah, that certainly wasn't an easy decision. And um, I think with everything that happened at the start of last season, I was... I suppose I was a little bit frustrated in the fact that I wasn't able to get much first-class cricket and I just felt underdone at the start of last year. So I, I, I sort of took took things out of everyone else's hands and, and just gave myself the best option to play as much red ball cricket in England uh, with, a, with a view of obviously getting ready for the World Cup as well. Having six one-day games with Lancashire in these conditions, playing at Old Trafford, playing on, on grounds that we're going to be playing our games at is, was priceless and it, it's, it's comfortably been the best best decision I've made this year was it was a hard decision like obviously it's a, it's a it's a big career move I suppose missing out on a on such a, a lucrative uh, tournament but I think for hopefully the long run and hopefully the the potential opportunities that can open up at, at the back end of this year it, it, it holds me in good stead because I just I haven't been playing enough first class cricket over the last few years and uh, this is the best top chance for me to get it yeah I think you've played if I'm right in saying 61 games of first class cricket over a decade it's a it's an incongruous uh, line in your stats column which must frustrate you that well not frustrate you but the, the Lancashire experience was, was one game at the start of the season at Lords when um, caught up with you there when you took your five wickets and you know you were able to remind people that you were you were as much a threat with ball as his biz bat on your day and then you, you went into a bunch of white ball cricket so it wasn't quite the perfect schedule you could have had yeah but I think at the back end of this this season there's still a few opportunities for me to 
um, play Red Bull cricket. So once the T20s finish, um, I've still got a bit of time before I have to be back for Victoria. And um, Andrew McDonald's been really good. I've been chatting to him about a return date. And with our first uh, JLT Cup game in Perth, I'm able to go straight there uh, after the season. So it's not like I'm going to be rushing back for the pre-season where you sort of go back to then go forwards again. So it's I'm just going to be going straight from game to game, which is perfect. And you might actually, I'm just trying to think about the schedule. There, there's not so much, because there's no ODI cricket at home this summer, you might actually be able yeah, to get a few shield games. It? Extraordinary. I've, first time in my career that no no white ball cricket in the summer. So it's, it's going to be a strange summer for us, I suppose, with the... I think we've got a 10 days in India you've in the a, middle you've of January as well. You've got a few T20s in October, I think, against Sri Lanka. But aside from that, you know, you might actually be able to get a decent shield stint in. Is the pressure off, though? I mean, to an extent, I mean, the fact that you, you're not being talked about test selection every other minute like it was a couple of years ago, do you feel as though if you did go back to shield cricket this year, if you don't get a chance in August and September in the Ashes this year, that, that you know, you'll go back with the best possible opportunity to do what you've been talking about for years, which is have a sustained period of Red Bull cricket? Yeah, and I think... You look back at the, I suppose, two seasons ago when I had a bit of success batting at three for Victoria, it was it was actually just nice to play some red ball cricket consistently back to back. I got into a nice rhythm, scored heap of runs before Christmas and was actually able to finally put some numbers on the board where, as you said, only 61 first class games in a decade isn't, isn't many. And I think if you look at anyone that's played for as long as, or played over the last 10 years, I think I'd probably have the lowest amount for guys that have been available anyway, not, not injuries, but it's been it's been probably too few, few and far between and, and this decision to go to Lancashire was just to basically take it out of everyone else's hands and hopefully it pays dividends as I said at the end of the year. One of the entries on the list, one of the first ones, is Glenn Maxwell Crick Info. Are you the kind of player who knows your stats who, who looks things up and keeps abreast of things or do you, do you find it easier just to not think about that too much? No, I, I... I don't think about it too much. I suppose strike rate's been something that t- is talked about a lot with me. I like to sort of just see how that's going with, like, I think it's about one, 158 or something, 159 T20s and about 121 in one day. Correct, 121.95 at present. <laughs> um, currently second all-time. Qualification category is minimum of 500 balls. Right. Andre Russell's got so you covered Russell's at the moment. So Andre Russell's about 130. And he's 130. Asif Ali's now up there with 130, yeah. so he's he's got some... And and Joss Butler is um, creeping up on you one yeah one nineteen now one yeah I, I like those sorts of stats because I think they're I think I find them interesting but as far as averages I suppose when you bat in the middle order you can't really worry about it too much a lot of the time you're sort of sacrificing your wicket at the back end of the innings trying to get the team into a better option like better position and it's never really phased me too much yeah, and we've got a Adam pop quiz here oh, so right, those are, those okay. are the top three. Uh, so can you guess who the other two are in the top five? Oh. Neither of them is Brandon McCullum, but one of the other... I do. Oh. I oh, OK. Well, you're it, Glenn. Go. I know Afridi's one. Yep. Afridi's fifth. But who's the other Who's the other uh, rounding out the top five? So, must have faced 500 balls in T20s internationals? In, no, in, in one day. Oh, sorry, one day. One day. We're back there again. Yep. OK. Um, best strike rate one day of all time, and it's not McCullum, and you've got Afridi already in him. Easy to end. Joss is in there. Yeah, so you've got Joss, Dre Russ... Maxwell, Afridi, and there's a fifth. There's a fifth. Who, who's who's? Well, sorry, Afridi's uh, fifth. So who's fourth? Is it maybe James Faulkner? It's not. No. It's Lionel Can, who played for Bermuda and faced 502 Lionel deliveries Can. in one day internationals. <laughs> His high score was 52, and he made one half century. That's okay. that's like naming the the people that average above 50 in ODI <laughs> yeah. cricket, and Ryan Tendulkar. That's one right. Of them. Yeah, he's, he's got 60, one of the greatest records of all time. Yeah. yeah. 
yeah, days. He, also, his um, hundreds per innings rate is the best besides Virat. I think he's he's about five. I think he's five got point a, something. Yeah, nice. I was going. I thought he had hundred every five innings. Yeah, That's it's, it's crazy numbers. Um, I, I say bring him back. If yeah. if Holland were in this World Cup, he'd be playing. That's Absolutely. for sure. Absolutely, chicken tenders. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> your stats, though. I mean, again, it kind of comes back to your lack of first class cricket, but. It's something that people occasionally bash you over the head with. Even last year, there was a conversation about how many hundreds you had made in professional cricket. So you just kind of want to pick up the phone and go, hang on, like, I bet it often five or six or seven. Or I, even eight. Or even eight. It, it's been, I mean, you made a hundred from eight in first class cricket. Famously, probably, you know, your most well-known nerdy hundred is the one where people go back against New South Wales, how many years ago it was, but coming in at six, six for nine. nine. <laughs> um, you must have listened to our live podcast, really. Um, but no, that, that is something that people do wallop you about. It, it must you know, sort of seep through at some level. To be honest, I don't let it phase me too much. And I think having had a number of amazing life experiences and amazing things that I've achieved, I, it doesn't really bother me me too much like if, if my career ended tomorrow I'd be okay like I'd, I'd be able to find other avenues in my life where I'd, I'd still get the same joy but yeah I'm still extremely proud of everything I've been able to achieve I've got 100 in every format I've been able to I suppose get my way back into the Australian test side get 100 in arguably the toughest place to, to score runs as an Australian player so I've been able to achieve some pretty amazing things from I suppose what people thought would have wouldn't have been possible for me so I still have high hopes of getting back into that test side but as I said, I'm I'm pretty proud of what I've, what I've achieved. Just quickly on that, you would know you would know who the other player is who's made one in all format. Oh yes, yes. Together, together <laughs> yeah, forever. Exactly right. Still hugging. <laughs> uh, the next thing it comes up a couple of times: Glenn Maxwell, wife, Glenn Maxwell, girlfriend. Yep. Uh, girlfriend. Um, I, I met your partner at the AB medal. Yeah. Um, I hope you're still together. Otherwise, that's yeah, going to be yeah, that's very awkward. <laughs> uh, she's she's brilliant. She's coming over in a couple of weeks, which is which is going to be good. Is that? I mean, this is going to sound like a slightly odd question, but I'll ask it anyway. Uh, taking your girlfriend to the AB medal when you know it's going to end up in the social pages and you know it's going to end up being a bit of a talking point is that a, is that a conversation you have as a as a couple? Like, are you ready for this um, this kind of attention? It's a big thing because she's Indian descent. Like, that's that was probably the biggest thing. And like, she had like a pub. A private account on Instagram, and because she got doled up and all the dress and all that sort of stuff, she sort of had to go off, off, um, off private, and all of a sudden these people just started like flowing in with comments, and so that probably hurt her probably more than more than anything. Like just sort of never been exposed to that before in her life, and uh, we've been together uh, over a year and a bit, a year and a half now. So it's it's been good fun. Like for her, it's been a, a pretty amazing experience to sort of um, see what I've probably gone through with social media and trying to talk her through that and make sure she's she's okay that's probably the main thing how hard is that then being on the road all the time like trying to maintain a relationship while you have to be away from home for so much of the year well it certainly is difficult and and probably most of the time we did spend together um in the early stages of our relationship was overseas it was i wasn't home very often and um, probably didn't get the, the chance to sort of spend as much time with her as, as I would have liked. So a lot of time we were sort of travelling and um, and sort of trying to make it work. And it was only when um, I think we had something happen where it was I was just home for a while and uh, we were actually able to make it work. And that's the only reason our relationship is probably as strong as it is now. Uh, next on the list, less uh, less less um, personally interesting, but all the same. People want to know how old you are. That comes up quite frequently. But that's a bit boring. Yeah, but thirty. But but, 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 I'll, but I'll, what I'll take from that though is. Um, there's a lot of debate about when batsmen reach their peak or their prime and you know what what, what is the period of that do you think you've you've kind of are you, are you in the middle of it or is it do you think ahead of you or where, how do you frame that up it's kind of an intangible question in a way but do you sort of feel as though in, in your own in your own stance and at the crease that you've never been as in control as you are at the moment yeah it's it's interesting i feel like i've 
I've had stages in my career where I've batted really well and and been in control. So I think I think I've always sort of felt like I've just sort of gone with the flow and sort of never really been in or out of form. It's just every now and then I'm hitting them, hitting them all right, and then just keep hitting them all right, and then all of a sudden I'm out for ninety odd. So um. <laughs> it makes us feel much better when you say things like that. I think I just, it sounds like such a normal person. Oh yeah, I'm hitting them all right, and then I'm not hitting them all right. You yeah, know? it, it, it reduces like, the game back to what it should be. Well, that's the thing. Like, there's been times where I've felt ordinary and. You get a bit of luck early on where it might be an umpire's called DRS decision or you you dropped somewhere and all of a sudden you're away, but all of a sudden when you feel like you're out of form, you someone takes a hanger, average decision, um, and it all seems to go against you. And um, I know I know Finchie sort of felt like he went through that recently and um, felt like the uh, Indians were just had a homing beacon on his front knee, um, <laughs> but yeah, he was able to get through that and uh, as he's as he he said to to me, it was he he just got through a stage where it was um he, he got to face like a spinner and took him on, hit him for six, and all of a sudden it was just it clicks and you you're back or well, it feels on. like you're back. It's yeah, like oh yeah. that's right now now I remember he had, he had how to hit the ball again. Aaron Finch, obviously you two live together and great mates and um and and so on. Uh, how tough is it for you as a mate, not so much a colleague and a teammate, but as a as a pal, watching him go through a trot like that when you're in the same team, and you know you just would do anything for him to to get over the hump. Yeah, I, I think the the hardest thing is how to how to bring it up with him. He's uh, you, you know he's trying his hardest. You know he's doing everything he can. He, he was training so hard, and and as he he admitted to, he probably overtrained and probably didn't give himself that mental refresh. And that was a, I suppose a big learning experience for him, and and probably happened at the right time as well, like leading into a World Cup. It's better to have it, I suppose, then and not in the middle of a World Cup where he, he can't find a, a way out of it. But the way he has gone about it since then and uh, been really open and honest with the rest of the group, and I suppose that's something that we've always talked about is being honest with each other. And um, I know people probably took the, the, the mickey out of elite honesty, but it's something that's probably been um, a big thing for him. We never did that. Never, no, we, 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 no, we never, um, never did I fully respected take that. advantage of the elite honesty no. weekend. No. Um, it's <laughs> important to be elite in, in everything that yeah. you do. Next on the list is Glenn Maxwell Height. Are you, like, w- w- are you, where do you sit in terms of, like, the perfect physical structure to be, a, like, a T20 hitter, you know, in terms of being shorter, in terms of being taller? I think, I think I'm about the right height for that. I'm about probably 20 kilos light of what I reckon the ideal T20 performer is. I think if you look at Andre Russell, he's probably... Is probably what you think of as a T20 machine, and yeah, I, I, I don't understand how I'm able to hit sixes. <laughs> like I sort of look in the mirror every morning, and go. There's the line for the. Siri. There's the title of the episode right there. It's like, <laughs> it's like that is pathetic. That's what you bring to the table. Um, I'm terrible in the gym. I barely go. Uh, there was one summer that where I don't think I went once, um, and I turned up with the Australian side soon after. He goes, "Oh, how's your gym program?" And I said what gym program <laughs> um, so I, my body shape has never changed and um, but yeah I, I feel like I'm able to still be pretty flexible and uh, still run fast enough so um, all you got to do is try and get just over the rope so. so you haven't worked it out yet you don't know how it happens no nah, I think it's something to do with golf or my bat swing or some someone thought it was with the hair on my arms or something like that but <laughs> which is famous I mean, yeah. there's a lot of discussion about your way too, way too much chat yeah. I, I think now, now it always me, comes up now my, my body's on the cricket live app they're just sitting there at the front and they asked me about it and I said is there any chance you like photoshop those arms like just just with someone normal um 
but yeah, the, the, when the uh, uniform came out, there was way too much chat about my arms and not enough chat about the uniform. So that was that was probably not what Cricket Australia was looking for. But you've got that link though with Ricky Ponting. I was going to say you're always Ponting, saying yeah. like Ponting, Maxwell, the arm off. You know, that's it's nice to be bracketed with the legend. Yeah, um, and and wrongly so. Um, <laughs> he's he's an absolute champion. He was in there before, and I was just staring at him as I always do. But uh, yeah, we, we, is that just how it works? Does he wake up in the middle of the night and you're just sitting by his bed, just looking at him? Just I was just watching you sleep, smiling. <laughs> hey, mate, how you going? Uh, no, <laughs> got any tips? Yeah. Just talking to Ricky. Hey, mate, do you want to do a fielding session together? We, that was that was one of the highlights. It was in Mumbai. Um, 2013, you'd like this. So I had literally one of the greatest train sessions ever where um, John T. Rhodes was the fielding coach and he was hitting balls out to me and Rick who were having a, a stump hitting contest and that was fielding fielding porn right there. <laughs> I, that, that's that's literally everything I could have dreamed of as a kid, like just happening right in front of my and eyes. Did you get him? Who, who won the, who won the, who won oh, the stump I don't know. off? I think I was sh- like shaking the whole time, just excited and giggling. It's like the dream dinner party <laughs> yeah, game, <but> like, <laughs> fielding <laughs> drills. Who, who are you going to bring to get dinner? Well, who's the three best fielders of all time? Yeah. I'm going to bring um, Andrew Simons, John T. Rhodes <laughs> and Ricky Ponting. If it slips catching, it's who had the best glide to third man yeah. Yeah, that's right. in history. Yeah, it's like you used to read in the footy record when you're growing up. It was always, you know, favourite movie, Shawshank Redemption. Who'd you yeah. have around for a dinner party? Jack Nicholas. When Jack Nicholson, one or the other. Yeah. That always got a Guernsey. Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein. Got a few gigs. <laughs> Mother Teresa. Um, we've got here. Um, I was going to ask you more about your body type and all that, but you've done such a better job than we could have done uh, in describing it there. Um, <laughs> It says here, Glenn Man- Maxwell Lancashire, and I assume that's a, that's a recency bias thing. You've just played there re- in the last couple of months. But what I want to take that was, you, you talked about the day after the World Cup when you'd all been on the gas the night before. It was actually a press conference the next morning when they announced the squad that went to England. Not you went there, oh, but Rod Marshall. Ro- Ro- Uncle Rod Marshall was doing the press conference, and you and James Faulkner weren't taken to England. But, I mean, the message was loud and clear. They're not coming to the West Indies. They're not coming to England. But, you know, it's a matter of time um, before they're going to be playing consistent test cricket. We're just going to, you know, manage them through this stage of, of their career. So you didn't go to England that time. But you've been to England consistently thereafter, whether it's for short-term blast contracts or, I guess, playing in the national side in white ball cricket. You've made the comment before that you feel like England's where you're best suited to play, which I think most people would assume, given where you've played your international cricket, that that would be India yeah. but it's not is it it's a misunderstanding in your game that you feel most comfortable when the ball is bouncing and doing a bit yeah I think I've always enjoyed the conditions over here I don't know I don't really know why because I think my game is probably more suited if you if you look from the outside to the lower spinning tracks of, of India but every time I've come over here I've just I've felt um, just like a, I suppose a little bit of a different player where I'm able to actually uh, play play a bit more naturally, not have to sort of take as many risks, and the ball actually comes on a, a little bit nicer. And well, I think in India you probably play a slightly more high risk game where the ball's spinning. You have to take certain risks against spinners to to be successful. And but yeah, I, I think looking back, I suppose the Yorkshire stint. I think that was a that was a big case of why um, I was able to sort of get that time over here. Finchy broke his foot midway through a stint, and I was supposed to only play the T20s and. Once he uh, went home with a broken foot, I took over and, and played the rest of the season and ended up playing a lot of white ball uh, one-day cricket and a, a few four-day games as well. And um, that the, was a big The Scarborough reason. 100, the famous. The Scarborough 100. Scarbados. We, we were five for, five for 60, I reckon, and myself and Adil Rashid put on, I think, 200, 250 in about 40 overs. 
Um, Jason Gillespie said to me, this is about three years afterwards as well, so it wasn't a recency thing. He said that's the best innings he's ever seen in cricket. Nice of him, isn't it? I mean, did he mention it to you? Yeah, he did. But I certainly felt it uh, when I was out there batting. It was it was a time when everything was going terribly wrong for us. I think we got bowled out for 120 in the first innings, then bowled them out for 115 or something like that. And when we were five for 80, it was it was all going the same direction. And I, I just don't I don't remember missing the middle of the bat for the whole innings and uh, to do it against an attack of uh, Rushworth, Onions, Hastings, all all up and firing was um, was something I remember really fondly. The rhythms of county cricket seem to agree with you as well. I caught a peek of you singing this song in the in the dressing room at Lords a couple of weeks ago, going fucking mental. I mean, it feels as though you bring something to those uh, dressing rooms and they they give something back to you. Yeah, they certainly. Um they bring out the competitive side of me, that's for sure. I um, I certainly jumped on board the the Lancashire boys and and loved everything they brought to the table with a with young squad as well. They were they were really good as in the fact that they were all really open in coming up, asking questions if they had anything. I think when you get a young squad, sometimes they can be a bit timid. They sort of don't want to go talk to the overseas player, and but they they were all full of questions, um, all willing to learn, and I think that made my time there a lot easier. Go to trains and. You're always able to help someone, whether it be with their fielding or, or just talk about one-day batting. So um, I really enjoyed that part of it. I'm interested in the emotional side of that. You, you travel around the world, you join these different teams, you drop in there, and it you know it might be for a month, it might be for two months, it might be for a couple of weeks, but you have this quite intense experience with, with these teammates. You maybe achieve something amazing or you have a near miss and you have the hurt of that or whatever it is. And you develop a bond in quite a quick space of time, or maybe you don't. You know, maybe you you have a sort of professional distance, but then suddenly you're out of there and you're gone. And if you have developed a friendship, then it becomes kind of theoretical after that. You're not likely to see that person much, or um, I don't know how is it just landing in those places, but then having to up and disappear again all the time. I think uh, I was able to make friends with one of the younger players really quickly. I, I watched him bat in the in the indoor nets at Loughborough and just loved the way he hit the ball, loved the way he swung. And um, so I started working with him straight away and just had a chat and he was really open open to any suggestions that I had for him. And we became really close and my girlfriend was over there and so we went on a few double dates. And uh, to be able to find, I suppose, a close mate like that straight away and um, find someone that has similar interests was, I suppose, key to me having so much fun over there and being able to sort of have those, I suppose, same... Uh, conversations of are you okay and like how hey, you're traveling um and he was probably the same he probably had someone who um had no history with the club um was able to sort of be able to uh, be a filter for him to sort of like basically drop any shit he had um just on me and i was able to sort of um siphon sort of through it so it was it, it was i suppose it was nice for him and probably nice for me as well is it hard to leave that though like to suddenly have to all right you, your time's up you've got to go i think the fact that i'm going back there at the end of the season probably makes it easier i think if it was just carter it's probably a little bit harder that you feel like you've probably got unfinished business there I, I left halfway through a tournament where jake lehman took over um the last few games in the final so it, it was a little bit hard there knowing that um geez we were sort of building something there we'd won four or five games in a row and uh, in a really good space heading into final, so that was a little bit difficult. But um, yeah, I suppose that's just the the way modern sport is. Yeah, kind of bridges nicely to what is basically the last search topic. There's one here saying, "Will Glenn Maxwell play?" I won't, I won't touch on that because we said we won't get you in, 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 in trouble. 
But um, where is Glenn Maxwell now? It's like an existential question. <laughs> where is Glenn Maxwell now? Well, right now... I could be anywhere. We, we, yeah, uh, I could be in the Danny Nongs right now. <laughs> <laughs> this, you this. could be in Danny Nong behind a tax building there. Yeah, um, right. th- is, it, is it deep in your heart? Are you missing Dan Nong at the moment? Mount Dion, Mount yeah. Dion, yeah. People are mixing that up. I'll be getting that mixed up my whole life, Jeff. You should know better than Mount Dion. Dion and Mount Dion are two completely different. Completely well, different. I know, I know. I've, I've been to both of them. Yeah. <laughs> I've only bought uh, drugs in one of them. <laughs> <laughs> You've only had your life threatened in one of those places as well. Yeah, let, let's be kind about where I come from. Uh, so the... the um, you know, but, the question about where you are now, which you've just touched on then about the in and outs and whatnot, read a lovely little nugget in the piece that you must have been interviewed for with Johnny Pyrrhic in the Age on Saturday. And I love this bit about, well, first of all, the South Belgrave Cricket Club, who are brilliant on Twitter and they're always pumping you up. They're absolutely brilliant. They're always in, you know, uh, doing the right thing by you. When you made that 100 at Ranchy a couple of years back, you gave them the signed shirt that you wore in that innings. I saw you tweeting away in one of the games you were playing here when they were in their semi-final or grand final in, in the season just gone I mean I don't know if it's common but that, that a player at your level would still maintain such a deep link to their, their home club but just talk us through that relationship and why the bond's still so strong I think I think our family was so deeply built into that that club so uh, dad was always a part of the board uh, he was either vice president treasurer treasurer secretary whatever it is he was always he was always uh, some part of the board so my brother was um vice president for ages um captain of the first 11 yeah we just always had such a deep connection with the club we lived right across the road we always had the keys to the change rooms if anyone needed them which was great for me had the keys to the nets always used to go out there and use them and yeah they, they were so good to me they gave me everything every opportunity to, to succeed and uh, gave me, the, I suppose, the best chance to have a cricket career. The other bit in there is that your nickname um, at South Belgrave was Aussie after Aussie Jones in the 97 grand final. And yep. I thought, when I read that, I'm like, that is about spot on. Like, we talk about Glenn quite a lot professionally in our jobs and thinking about Aussie Jones. And if I close my eyes and think about that, that season in 97, now I'm not a St Kilda supporter, you obviously are, yeah. but seeing the freedom in which he played the game as a young man and the freedom in which you play our sport in, um, there's some nice parallels there. Yeah, I, I, I still remember... I reckon I was about nine years old wearing my Aussie Jones jumper and I was on the on the boundary at, at training it was either a Tuesday or a Thursday night and my brother was out there and um, I'd just sort of stand on the boundary and throw balls back whenever it was and uh, <laughs> and because I had Aussie Jones on the back they were just calling me Aussie the whole time so that sort of stuck uh, for when I played my first senior game there when I was 11 or 12 so um, yeah it, it's, a, it's a nice story I've still got like my fourth 11 premiership cap um, with Aussie written on the side of the hat. That's, that's it's better than the big show. <laughs> yeah, like, well, now we know it. Why are you Aussie Maxwell in all the headlines? Aussie Maxwell does it again. Aussie. Better than Aussie Jay Bugner. Yeah. Last time we had an international. <laughs> it's actually funny. Like, I actually met Aussie um, last year or sometime. We, um, we ended up at, uh, is it the Watershed or Water, Waterside Hotel, yeah. the other side of... Um, Street or? No, opposite the footy ground. Uh, Metricon. Is it oh, right. or what is uh, Marvel, no, the, Marvel, the Dockland yeah. Stadium. Let's the doc, say we're not going to promote whatever, any of the commercial. Whatever, the, whatever. The, the, uh, the, the one with the roof. Hotel. The one with the roof. So the, <laughs> the Savoy. No, it's like the Watershed Hotel or something like that. The Waterside Hotel. And went over there for a few drinks with some mates, and Aussie Jones was there, and um, big moment. He came up to me and goes, "Hey, how you going? And like, love watching on, on um, love watching it play." And I was like, "Yeah, right. Uh, this is interesting." <laughs> I was like, I've got a story for you. <laughs> <laughs> it's the so, reverse of never met your heroes. Really, yeah, it? It, was, I mean, it, was, you... it was it was really strange. Oh, um, you so, should get him to sign that cap. 
it's funny. I got a few photos of him. He was um, he was well and truly on his way. I think he was, he was playing footy the next day as well. He wasn't sure how he was going to get home. I made him late because uh, I made him get an Uber home after the he missed the last oh, train. Beautiful. I used to love Ozzy Jones. I wasn't a St Kilda supporter either. But he was great to watch. The way yeah. he'd take off out of the goal square yeah. and just yeah. run the length of the ground. It was that '97 with, with Joel Smith and Ozzy Jones. The that probably what '19 that year, probably around yeah, that. Yeah, like maybe got, 20th. He, he got drafted in '95. Right. Yeah. So they were I just think. you know that pivotal stage when you're going to make it or you're not going to make it. Obviously, St Kilda make the grand final. We haven't, obviously, St Kilda isn't on our list of questions, but how closely do you follow it? I mean, we follow it pretty closely from afar. Do you still you know, watch the games and track the scores and get down to um, Dockland Stadium, whatever it is that you are home? Yeah, whatever the stadium's called. It. Um, yeah, I, I get down to the rooms as much as I can and go see the, a few of the guys and um, whenever I'm in, in town. and They've been always really welcoming to have me in the, in the rooms, just go and sit there and... Uh, just chat to them while they're doing their recovery and just talk a bunch of garbage with them really and they just, they want to know what's going on in, um, in tour life and uh, because I suppose they're stuck in Australia for a whole season they sort of don't probably see the other side of professional sport which is I suppose on the road all the time. You should get your mate Ricky to sort you out. Wasn't he number one member at North Melbourne for a while there? Yeah I think and Warney was number one at the Saints for a bit wasn't he? Yeah pretty possibly. sure. Possibly. It's in the future, sure. Eric Banner. Well, you can't really, you can't really knock off Eric Banner. Uh, I'm, I'm not even close. <laughs> <laughs> if I win another World Cup, maybe. <laughs> but at least it's easy if you go to St Kilda. You're not going to forget anyone's name. You're just Jack. Yeah. Jack? Yeah, hey, Jack. Jack. Yeah, it's right. it's pretty yeah, it's right. JB. They're all JB. <laughs> With the interest of our international listeners at front of mind, Jeff. I think that's probably the right moment (laughs) for us to close the interview with Glenn Maxwell. As I say, hopefully the second of three final word Any further questions, Jeff, before I wind it up? Not so much a question, but you may be interested to know, listeners of the podcast, there's there's so much Maxwell backing. They're sending us Maxwell-related trivia questions. The numerology segment every week. They're clamouring for Maxwell-related merchandise. There's there's a lot of love out there. I wonder if you have anything to send out to those listeners. Well, there's... um there's a few shirts uh, getting sold on the streets of India that are spelt uh, with Maxwell on the shirt, but they're spelt M E X W E W L. I'm sure they're on special if anyone wants them. Well, I must have that shirt. <laughs> I remember that. Text Maxwell. T- t- 2014 IPL. There was um, there was plenty of them on the side of the streets. There haven't been many since. Um, yeah, I, I, I love the support I get. I suppose from you guys and um, and the fans back in Australia. As I said, it doesn't didn't always uh, happen like that in Australia and. I had to travel um, 13 hours in a, in a plane to get to India uh, to sort of get any sort of support. So it's um, it's nice to have it back home as well. And and when you go out to bat in the World Cup, you can know that you're, you're carrying a lot of goodwill with you from from some of these strange and interesting people on the internet oh, who are following along. I tell you what, at our live yeah. show, for example, I mean, you know, we did spend an hour talking we, about you and your whole career. So we had and some we did, people. The people afterwards. didn't know. So we rocked up yeah. at the start and said, "What we're going to do is do an hour about Glenn Maxwell," and the room cheered. Right. You know, <laughs> the whole room was like, "Yes, we are here for this." Oh, <laughs> very emotionally invested. Um, I will have one last question. Oh, please be my guest. Can I have a hug? Of course oh, you can. This is lovely. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, it feels so good. <laughs> just recreating the Watto moment. Oh, Watto. I'm not wearing a helmet. Though. Oh, Watto. <laughs> I, I just cried a little bit. <laughs> Glenn Maxwell, it has been an absolute, absolute pleasure having you join us on The Final Word. And, of course, as, as ever, thanks to Kookaburra for, Kookaburra for making it possible. Um, good luck in the World Cup. We'll, we'll be there throughout. I'm sure we'll catch you at some stage. I hope you get a chance to celebrate another World Cup victory and continue to bolster your cases to be a three-format player and achieve all you want out of the game. Let's hope so, guys. Cheers. 
And when you go back upstairs, say, man, I just survived a cold, impartial grilling from a couple of hard-edged <laughs> journalists. <laughs> This has been the final word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon and just uh, putting a, a full stop on what's been a, a very big day, uh, as we said at the top, off to Bristol, back again and w- listening through to podcast in editing over the last hour or so. I have to say, I mean, it, 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 we've had some pretty good interviews on the show over the last couple of years, some work we're extremely proud of, but it's hard to go past that, isn't it? That, that, was, that was brilliant. It was fortuitousness. It was fate. It was, it was a moment that it had to be. And can I just say for the listeners at home who may not know, it was it was a really good hug as well. It wasn't like a sort of brusque, you know, like I'm a man who's afraid to express my feelings, so I, I'm going to sort of do the Top Gun, like you can be my wingman anytime. Like it's not so much a hug as a chest bump and you bounce off Val Kilmer because, you know, you, you're too manly to hug Val Kilmer properly. It was, it was like a really – I was held. It was beautiful. Yeah. Now I just need to hug Shane Watson and then I will have – completed I would have had both sides of that it was a nice it was a nice moment when you arrived today you went for the handshake and I've been doing the hug thing with Glenn a bit recently and I thought I was wondering I was curious about how the dynamic would work when you arrived I wouldn't wouldn't presume well I just thought you might go the hug straight up but instead you went the handshake then and obviously later on you made up for it with a yeah it was a lovely moment at the end of the show there you build up to these things you you know there's a a, a, a ramp up there's a there's a there's a gradual (laughs) increase Jeff, I reckon we need to go to bed. Patreon.com forward slash the final word if you want to get involved with the subscription service. Rate us or review us on iTunes. Thank you so much to Kookaburra. Thanks as well to AB Jennings. And last but not least, thank you to Glenn Maxwell for making time for us uh, on the cusp of what is a, a really important couple of months in his life. And I think after listening to that interview, people will have a much better sense of the sort of person he is and which helps inform why we've been such big supporters of his, of his over the years. And I would say thank you to Glenn Maxwell just in general. Just thank you to Glenn Maxwell. Thank you for being you. Thank you for the days when you've given me a reason to keep on going. <laughs> thank you. Because for- I'm going to watch you about another time. Thank you for the music. And thank you for listening. This has been The Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. We'll be back with the weekly show next week. Between times, tons of daily shows, which will begin at the conclusion of the World Cup opener. That is between England and South Africa at the Oval. We can't wait to get that rocket and rolling as well. Little short ones, just nice just little, 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 little pocket rocket ones. Bite-sized podcast. It's going to be tons of fun. Stick with us all out throughout the English summer. It's going to be absolutely brilliant. This is The Final Word. Talk soon. I had to go.